The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Half of my head seems to be cut off. Do you guys all view me as someone with half of my head cut off? Okay, that's on the iPad. Oh. You're on a different all right. This is kind of weird um, having yourself in front of you during the service. I don't know if uh, many of you guys know. I wanted to make this shout out that Joe Berg normally um, prays for me every morning I preach. So, Joe, if you are watching this, please be praying for me um, as I share the word this morning. My name is Jacob Wishoff, and I am an elder here at the Refuge Church. And today we will be taking a break from our normal series, Joshua, Enter the Promise. And for the next two weeks, during Holy Week, we are going through a short Easter series known as Who Do You Think You Are? I will begin the series this week, being Palm Sunday, and Daniel Frederick will finish the series next week on Easter. Before we move into this week's sermon, I'd like to take a moment to pray for our state, our country, and world. COVID-19 has had a continual rise in cases and fatalities, and it's definitely been an exhausting and trying time for us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for you are good. We thank you that you are in control always and that it is you who controls everything, and we know that, and I ask that that would become real in our hearts and minds, that instead of living by fear, we would learn to lean on you and live in faith, that our confidence would be from you and not from ourselves and not from um, anything, God, that doesn't give you glory. We pray that you would receive that this morning. We pray that you would be with our state, with our world, and and that you would be healing this world of the coronavirus, Father. We ask for safety for those at home and for those we know. In your name, amen. We all come to a moment of truth in our lives when we see ourselves for who we are, not who we want to be. In this short two-part Easter series, we will look at the life of Peter, one of Jesus' followers. In Peter's story, we will see how the death and resurrection of Jesus can become for us a death to sin and new life in forgiveness and freedom. So coming into this sermon this week, I was thinking a lot of concepts such as being ready or preparing or training And I was thinking a lot about when a moment of testing would come that we would be ready. The idea of like in whom or what does our confidence come from during our time of testing. And in the sports world, it is no mystery that a big part of preparation is training. And one sport that I would like to highlight this morning is boxing. You rarely see a man box two months in a row. Generally, there is a time 
to heal, mend, and train to be ready for your next big fight. The fighter uses fights as teaching moments, what they did well and how they failed, what they can try to do next time, um, how they might protect themselves better, how they might get an upper hand next time, what to see that the enemy might be bringing towards them, um, all is a part of their arsenal in how to win and pass the test. So fighters exercise, study tapes, and train vigorously to be ready for the big test, that next fight. So it was March 8th, 1971. The WBA Championship, the World Boxing Association, the WBC Championship, World Boxing Council, the Ring Championship, and Lineal Heavyweight Championship were all on the line. We were going to find out who the baddest man on the planet was. This fight had been dubbed the fight of the century. Two undefeated fighters were stepping into the ring for the first time. One, Muhammad Ali, who was touted as the greatest boxer of all time, versus Smokin' Joe Frazier. This event was huge. Leading up to the fight, Muhammad Ali had believed that the event would be quick and easy for him. He had confidence that no matter what happened, he was going to win the fight. And in all of his interviews, he made sure that people knew it. He told them exactly how he was going to beat Joe Frazier, that he was going to hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him, and keep hitting him. And his smack talk was at an all-time high, such as, Joe Frazier is so ugly that when he cries, the tears turn around and go down the back of his head. Frazier is so ugly, he should donate his face to the U.S. Bureau of Wildlife. For, Ham for Muhammad Ali, there was nothing stopping him from continuing on his punishing streak of 31-0-25 by way of knockout. However, heading into round 15, Frazier held the thinnest of leads on the judges' scorecards. That's how they determine who wins if a knockout doesn't happen, in case you were curious. So thin that were he to lose the final round, he could still win, but only by a single point. To be sure, Frazier closed convincingly. Early in round 15, Frazier landed a left hook that put Ali on the canvas. Ali, his jaw swollen noticeably, got up at the count of four and managed to stay on his feet for the rest of the round despite several terrific blows from Frazier. A few minutes later, the judges made it official that Frazier had retained the title with a unanimous decision, dealing Ali his first professional loss. The world was shocked. Muhammad Ali was invincible. Muhammad Ali was so confident but he just couldn't get the job done. Whether he liked it or not, Muhammad Ali had to come to grips that at this point in time, he was not the greatest anymore because the greatest had finally been bested. And I'm sure not everyone here likes boxing. And some of you might say, I'm not really into sports. So what about confidence in a skill a talent, or the way that life has always been. A lot of us kind of get into this attitude of nothing's going to change. This is how it's always been. I'm comfortable. Um, 
I don't foresee anything crazy happening. And then we all collectively have realized in the last few weeks, the last month, that that's just not true. If we continue to put our confidence and trust in any of these things, we will be sorely mistaken and bound to have a ton of hiccups along the way. And that's where we find ourselves here today talking about Peter in Luke 22, 31 through 34, as well as Luke 22, 54 through 62. And the big question that I want to ask you today is, are you ready for the test? And the big idea is that where you place your confidence will determine the outcome. Today, as I said before, we will be working through two pieces of scripture and we will spend most of our time in Luke 22. If you have your Bibles ready, please go to Luke 22, 31 through 34 and bookmark it. And then also Luke 22, 54 through 62 so that we can jump to it as we approach it. Luke 22, 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the roosters crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you know me. There's a little bit of an error there. There are four things that stood out in this passage about Peter, and I wanted to explain them because I think if we understand these four things, we might have an understanding of where we should find our confidence in our time of testing and what and how to kind of see what being ready is like versus the eagerness of being ready. So one, in that first verse, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So Peter is going to be sifted like wheat. That's the first thing. For some of us, preferably city people, it's much harder for us to understand the value of sifting wheat or how important it is. However, if you grew up eating regular non-gluten-free bread or items that contain flour, it's always been a part of our life. We just never have been able to appreciate the process of how it was made. When this passage was written, Luke had been writing to an agrarian society. An agrarian society or agricultural society is a community whose economy is based on producing and maintaining crops and farmlands. The sifting of wheat was, and to this day, important. Wheat was most commonly used for flour. It was used in emergency by the poor and was normally ground between two stones until it had become fine and was usable for baking food items. The process of sifting was being able to remove the bad pieces of wheat from the good pieces of wheat, removing what was undesirable from what was desirable, making the product good and pleasing. 
Jesus was using the analogy of being sifted as wheat to tell Simon that Satan was going to test him to see if he was ready to follow him wherever he would lead him. Just like the flour was being sifted so that the true item that people wanted would remain, Peter was going to be sifted so that what remained was what Jesus was longing for. And that was somebody obedient and faithful and sharing the trademarks and characteristics of Jesus while Jesus was here on earth. If you recall the book of Job, Satan, in this same way, asked God for someone to test. God offers Job. That's in Job chapter 1. Satan was testing Job's faithfulness to God. In this same way, Satan was going to test Simon to see if he remained faithful to Jesus. Satan is going to shake Peter, and he is going to try and destroy and beat him down. But Jesus was letting Peter know that the test was coming and that Peter needed to be ready. So Jesus was giving Peter the foreknowledge of the test that was coming. And it wasn't just for Peter, because if you look, it says all, it also means the disciples. And outside of the disciples, us, because we are going to experience a time of testing in our life. Whether we are going to follow Jesus or whether we are going to walk in our own ways. So I wanted to make that clear that this test that's being spoken of is a real thing that affects us here today. Two, Peter, if you look at the second verse, has the best kind of prayer support. Check out Luke twenty-two thirty-two. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is speaking directly to Peter here and telling him that he has been praying for him and that he needed to place his confidence in Jesus and what Jesus was going to do. When it talks of turning back, what it is specifically referencing is repentance. Jesus is foretelling of the testing and the outcome. If we look at the 34th verse, we see that he knows the outcome but desires Peter not to lose heart and to continue striving forward in him. I cross-reference Luke 22 through 32 with John 17, 9, and we see that Jesus' prayers were protecting Peter because Peter was God's, and this was an eternal protection. And not only that, these are powerful prayers. Listen to how Jesus was praying for Simon and the disciples. I am praying for them. This is John 17, 9. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. It's incredible. And then if you look again at John 17, 11, which I didn't give this one to Sean this morning, it says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus is praying these intense prayers of protection, safety, unity, keeping his people together over Peter and the disciples. And everything Peter needed and we need to pass a test of our faith was provided in Jesus. He needed to place his confidence in Jesus and the work that Jesus was doing on his behalf.
The third thing I want you to notice is that in verse 33, it appears that Peter is saying he is ready. Peter believes he is ready. Verse 33 says, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And so when we see that, we're kind of like, well, you know, maybe he, he just said kind of a nice sentiment and he was just kind of responding to Jesus and he was trying to comfort Jesus. But what he's saying out loud here is very, very literal because again, it's repeated in Mark 14, 29, Peter said to them, even though they will fall away, I will not. And again, in Matthew 26, 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, referring to Jesus, I will not deny you. So these are very certain words. And we get really excited when we hear this because we know he's going to be tested and we know that Jesus is praying. And we even see this glimmer of just confidence in Peter as he tells Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and death for you and with you. Peter isn't asking him. He's telling him, I'll follow you no matter what the cost, Jesus. And this is like the action scene that we like look forward to in movies. We start cheering for Peter in the story because he's willing to go the distance. And this is in our society today, we'd say, love that energy, Peter. That's the energy we're looking for. But we feel flattened because the very next verse, Jesus says that, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me. And we're like, what? Like, Peter's ready. He's just so excited. And, and uh, his confidence is there. He's going to do what it takes. He's our hero. But unfortunately, his confidence wasn't in Jesus. So number four, Jesus is reminding Peter of where his confidence needs to be. And if you look at verse 31, there's something that's interesting that happens here. Jesus starts out by calling Peter Simon, Simon, which is his birth name which is a common Greek name. But then in verse 34, it's different because he says, I tell you Peter, which he turns into the name that Jesus has given to Peter, to Simon. You're not Simon anymore. You're Peter. You're the rock. Peter means Petros. Petros means rock, okay? So he was trying to tell him to have confidence in who he was making him to be rather than who he used to be. So when I was studying, I found that Jesus is using the name Simon to forbid him from denying him, kind of by saying, Simon, you know, that's who you were. And later he says, Peter, that's who you are. He was pointing out his former identity and his current identity. I believe this was a huge teaching moment. Jesus is telling Simon not to have confidence in Simon, but confidence in Peter. Be confident in who I have made you to be, and I'm continuing to make you. Have confidence in me, Peter. And we will see later in the second passage that Peter wasn't ready at this point because he did not see himself as Jesus sees him. Peter's confidence was in the eagerness that was Simon, not in the Peter that Jesus had made Simon. So now let's look at the second passage, Luke twenty-two fifty-four 54 through 62. 
Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And there were four things that I took from this too. And I wanted to point these out so that we can kind of trek along in the story. The first thing is that Peter starts out strong. Kind of. So we kind of look at this as like, this is the start of another piece of the story And it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. This was Jesus. They had seized Jesus and were taking him into the house of the high priest, Cephas. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Peter is following the guards into the courtyard and even sits down with them. He is entering hostile territory. He was not alone. There were guards. There were people of political influence. There was the high priest. There was Jesus. There were servants. There were people present. He was entering into an area where he would have been easily identifiable. Even though Peter starts out following at a distance, he suddenly finds himself amongst those that have taken Jesus. And this is still courage. Peter was willing to go to prison and death with Jesus. So we might believe at this point that he is doing exactly what he said. He's in there and we're ready for the action. But what's the next move? We see his eagerness in the earlier verses and a prediction by Jesus. So what happens? It was the second thing that I wanted to point out. And that was that Peter denied Jesus. He did exactly what Jesus had said. Luke twenty two fifty six through 60, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Verse 57, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. 59, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Just as Jesus foretold, Peter denies Jesus three times. How fast he was willing to follow Jesus in that first passage, only be brought face to face with that he was not ready. And are you ready? Where does your confidence lie in that moment? when something similar to this happens? Where's your confidence when your coworkers are joking 
coarsely at work and you don't want to hear it anymore. Or your confidence not to watch certain movies that your friends watch because you realize that it does a disservice to your witness. The third thing, Peter's lying to himself or maybe he's making excuses or covering things up. And it should come to no surprise that the people that Peter were sitting with knew that he was not one of them. And you could tell because he had a very distinct Galilean accent. Check out Matthew 26, 72 through 73. And this is from the ESV version. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. So while he might have thought he was clever, the people he was sitting with knew better. They knew where he was from. They knew that he was probably in allegiance with Jesus. How is it that three people would say that he was one of them that followed Jesus? We are like this. We get caught up and we start making excuses. I want to look at the, the second verse here that I paired with this, and it's John 18, 25 through 26. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? So now we have an eyewitness present saying, aren't you the same person that I saw in the garden that when we were trying to take Jesus away, you pulled out a sword and cut off someone's ear? The guy that I'm related to? I saw you. Isn't that you? And Peter denies it again. Excuses that carry on and then we start to believe them. What we need to do is realize that the answer we are looking for is found only in the confidence that we find in Jesus. What would have been different if he had said yes is something that I thought about. Number four, Peter realizes Jesus' words are true. Luke twenty two fifty nine. about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Verse 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. 61, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. How do you think Peter felt when the words that were said to him were heartbreakingly now true? This eagerness he portrayed in following Jesus to prison and death were shattered before his own eyes. He was willing to follow Jesus until his personal safety was interrupted. He knew he didn't add up and at that his greatest effort to do what was right wasn't good enough because he couldn't. Peter was coming to grips with the fact that Jesus knew exactly where he was and who he desired to be, but he wasn't who he wanted to be yet. It was a conflict of identity. And we find out, if we search hard enough, that we are most often like Simon, trying to be Peter, to be a rock, but oftentimes we're more like sand, 
So what does this all mean for us this morning? One, it's sometimes we aren't as ready as we want to be. As I thought about verse 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. This is really a beautiful sentiment. But as we have seen in the second set of passages, that it just wasn't true. Peter disowns Jesus three times. Certainly, he would have been off to prison or death if he would have said yes. Why didn't he if he was ready? I believe it's because he was eager and he was placing his confidence in himself and wanting to be there for Jesus rather than being ready and fully equipped to be there for Jesus. And this Jesus who was always in his corner the whole time. Jesus not only showed Peter that the test was coming, he was praying actively for Peter and Jesus also told him that the test was going to shake him. You would think with that much information, we would be able to pass the test. But as we saw, Peter didn't pass the test. Often we do not as well, unless our confidence is rooted in Jesus. Two, our response in time of testing allows us to know where we are. I'm not advocating sin, not at all. I'm saying that we need to use our moments of weakness and lack as teaching moments. We may not have gotten it right, but what can we do to change this for the future? How do we prepare ourselves? And this leads us into the next action step. Three, recognizing that you are not ready allows you to chart a clear path so you can be. Have you ever felt so ready to do something only to be told that you are not ready? I remember about nine years ago when I first desired to be in church leadership and to preach. I approached and maybe even cornered Dave Frederick in the kitchen of the Coffee Oasis while he was working on something, and I told him what I wanted. And Dave and Daniel, in their great wisdom, told me that they didn't believe I was ready. I can honestly tell you I'm completely happy that they held me back. And I want to repeat that again, that I am completely happy and glad that they held me back because while I couldn't see it at the time, it shaped me. It made me realize that I didn't know the first thing about sifting or unearthing the rich gems found in Scripture. I would have slopped together a 20-minute sermon hoping it would pass without ever digging into the true meaning. So I was told to focus on giving short, concise sermons or messages instead of longer sermons. I would learn how to handle the word better. So I started to chart a path, and with their help, Dave took me through a few Bible interpretation classes that meant the very world to me, where I was able to just dig in and learn what the scripture was actually saying and then figuring out what cross-referencing was because I don't think I owned one Bible with cross-references in it before this time. And now I believe that any good Bible student should have cross-references in their Bible. If you don't know what that is, please come talk to me. I spent time practicing and preparing, meeting with Dave and Daniel. I started some Bible classes at Moody Bible I have a lot to learn still, but I can say if I was allowed to preach back then, I can guarantee you I would not be in front of you right now. Literally, I would not be here. And while I thought I was ready, I wasn't. While Peter thought he was ready, he wasn't. We can easily believe that a talent or eagerness is enough, and it really isn't. It's a complete confidence in Jesus that will make a difference. Had Peter been confident and said, yes, I know this man, I believe that God would have prepared him. For prison or death, no matter how painful or troubling it would have seemed. And maybe, just maybe, next week, there's going to be a little bit more to this story. 
Number four, Jesus knows the entire course and leaning on him is essential. And when I saw that word and I used that word essential, I started using it in today's terms. Jesus is the essential worker that we need. In our time of crisis, our time of testing, Jesus is what is most needed because he knows the entire course. Jesus wasn't shocked about COVID-19. Jesus knew that COVID-19 was coming to this world and he knows exactly how it's going to leave this world and how the story ends. To pass the test, we need to lean on Jesus. We may be able to hoard toilet paper or pantry cupboards, but that doesn't guarantee we won't get the coronavirus. Sure, we may feel more safe or confident, but that's not the confidence we need. The confidence we need is found only in Christ. The confidence that says, Lord, I will follow you to prison or death. And then leaning on and trusting him to prepare us for whatever that looks like. Peter believed he was ready. This is us. We oftentimes believe we are ready. However, we will only know the truth of how ready we are by placing our trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. This Jesus, who surprisingly knew everything and every event that would take place from the beginning of Luke 22 and on, and listed them. If this is you this morning, and you're thinking, I've placed a lot of confidence in myself, and this has become so tiring, then today I'm challenging you to put your faith and confidence in Jesus, because Jesus knows the entire outcome. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you so much that we can come to you and worship. We are thankful, God, that you have given us examples like Peter, people that were so near to Jesus, that physically knew Jesus, that spent time with Jesus, that watched Jesus and learned from Jesus firsthand, God, that, that show us that you can be so close and sometimes things happen. And God, thanks for giving Jesus that we can call out to him and be freed and forgiven for those moments, God, when we find ourselves outside of what you have for us. Give us the confidence, Lord, to say, Lord, I will follow you to prison or death. God, the scariest places, may we serve you. God, we pray that you would protect us, be with us, and help us, God, to look forward to Jesus' sacrifice, death, and resurrection on Easter Sunday. Help us to put our faith there. Be with us this week, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.